If you have a Bible with you, you could uh, open it up to Hebrews chapter 12. You've probably noticed in this life, living if you're living as a Christian in this life, that things can happen to you that lead you to doubt. that uh, make you think maybe this investment in Christianity is a bad idea. Maybe it would be easier if I quit worrying so much about being a good Christian. I suppose it's probably true that in some respects it might be easier. You know, even the most important prophet under the Old Covenant had this problem. You know who the most important prophet in, under the Old Covenant was? You might think Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel. Well, it turns out the most important prophet under the Old Covenant is someone we only read about in the New Testament. Well, that's not exactly right. We do read about him in the Old Testament but he's identified in the New Testament. And he is the man named John, the cousin of Jesus, the John the Baptist, we typically call him. And Jesus is the one who declared him to be the greatest of all the prophets. You remember what happened at the end of the life of John the Baptist? Do you know this story? He had one of these times. He was arrested and thrown in prison by the king. Cut off from society. And he started to wonder. You would have a hard time finding anyone who was more invested in Christ than John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the one who was with some of his little followers and when Jesus came by, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That guy. The one who was the forerunner prophet who whose message was prepare the way of the Lord. He's about to arrive. And when he arrived, he said, there he is. The one who baptized Jesus. 
and the one who called Israel to repent and come back to the Lord in preparation to receive their Messiah. That guy. They threw him in prison. They kept him there for a while. They were threatening his life. They ultimately took his life. And you might know the story. He sent some of his followers to Jesus to check. When they threw John the Baptist in prison, he started to wonder. He probably had an idea of what Messiah would or should do that wasn't exactly what was going to happen. Like, all, I mean, it'd be a surprise if he didn't. All of Jesus' disciples had the same idea that Messiah would come as the conquering king, that he would toss out the oppressors of the Jewish people, that he would establish the Jewish nation, that there would be this great uh, vindicating overthrow of the Gentile kingdom. I can imagine John sitting there in prison going, uh, whenever you're ready. So he sent his disciples to Jesus to ask, are you? Was I wrong about you? Well, I suppose if John the Baptist can have this sort of experience, so can you. So can I. Well, I don't have to wonder whether I can or not because I know that I do. And it doesn't take as much trouble as throwing me in prison. Much smaller levels of trouble could cause me this problem. The Hebrew church was having this problem. This church is probably having this problem in one measure or another today. Of, you know, the world has gone mad. Are we sure this is true? Would life be easier if we just kind of went along with the world instead of standing with Christ? Well, the book of Hebrews is written against that tendency. The book of Hebrews is to say, keep going with Christ because don't forget who He is and what He's done and the great goodness of God exhibited beyond comprehension in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, that's what we read about all through the book of Hebrews, and so today. Hebrews 12, I'm going to read you the first four verses. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, 
despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Keep on running. Keep on one foot in front of the other foot toward Christ. And this is what we talked about. We talked about the first half of this last Sunday. Keep on running. You're surrounded by the assurance of the cloud of witnesses. The cloud of witnesses is not there to check and see how you're doing. They are there to proclaim to you the truth and goodness of the promises of God. Especially, well, all the promises of God are wrapped up in the one promise, the promise that John the Baptist testified of, the promise of the King of Kings coming to be our Savior. That promise and the witnesses of the Old Testament all unite in the chorus of the assurance of our perfection in Him. That's the end of chapter 11. So they are testifying to you, not about you. They are testifying about Him to you. And by the way, you know who the other witnesses are besides all those Old Testament saints that did this by faith and this by faith and this by faith and this by faith and died without receiving the promise because God was waiting for us to deliver the promise in Christ. But besides all those guys, also God the Father testifies. God the Son testifies. God the Holy Spirit testifies. And last week we looked at the various spots in the book of Hebrews where God testifies. God testifies His assurance of the righteousness of Christ applied to you. Credited to your account if you just trust Him. The Son testifies of His sanctifying work, His claim on you for God Himself. The Spirit testifies to your heart. That's repeated in Romans 8, that you are a child of God. You trust Him. So, since you're surrounded by these witnesses all sort of cheering at you to say, hey, keep running, keep running, it's true, it's true. The goodness of God is real. And he says, keep running, lay aside the weight, run with endurance, the race set before us. Giving our, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the one who ran ahead. 
the one who started faith and finished it. Jesus lived a life of complete faith from beginning to end. You read about this in the book of John. He says it over and over and over. I never do anything except what I see the Father doing or what I hear Him telling me to do. I never operate on my own. I always operate by faith in God, in the Father. So the Son, in His humanity, is the leader of all faith. He invented it. And he started from the beginning of his life to the end of his life. He operated by faith, by faith, by faith. So if you look at Hebrews 11 where all these people did by faith, by faith, by faith. Jesus is the one by faith. Always. All those other ones sometimes failed in faith. Jesus, not one time. He's the author and the finisher of faith. He pursued his faith in his Father in heaven all the way to the cross. And if you think about it, he said this, I, nobody's taking my life from me. I'm laying it down. And when he laid down his life, there's nothing withheld from trusting the Father. He's dying. He is putting himself entirely in the Father's hands. The finisher of faith. He even said it. It is finished. who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. I just had a conversation yesterday about this joy. What is this joy? You know, Jesus says this in John chapter 15. I'm telling you these things He said to His disciples so that you can have My joy in yourselves and fully so. What was He telling them when He said that? What is the source of this joy? Where is this joy? We read about it in the Psalms where it's a messianic psalm. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol. That's a, that's a prophecy of the resurrection. In your presence is fullness of joy. And so Jesus is the one who for the joy of the presence of God in His humanity endured the cross. Oh, and there's more to this joy. Because He said, so that you could have My joy in yourselves and completely so. And what was He talking about when He said, that's why I'm telling you this. It's the exhortation in John chapter 15 I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. It is about the fellowship that we enjoy with Christ and with God in Christ 
by the ministry of the Spirit, we are wrapped up into the eternal fellowship of the triune God. That joy. And that is the joy of the Lord Jesus. The fellowship of the eternal trinity extended to the human creation. That joy. And I want you to just stop and think about it for a second. Fellowship is always the source of joy. It's really hard to be joyful by yourself. I would challenge you, even when you are joyful by yourself, your joy is grounded in someone besides yourself. Joy is a thing shared, or it's not the fullness of joy. In your presence is the fullness of joy. Abide in me and experience joy. Uh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The, the joy of the fellowship of the body of Christ. It is the thing for which Jesus endured the cross. And one day, we already get a little of it. Just this morning, we're singing. We're having a little of it. But one day, we will know each other. We will know each other well. We will love each other well. We will experience the love of God in Christ even more directly than we can now or do now. And we will be in the fullness of joy in the presence of God. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding the shame. You know what he did with the shame of the cross? The cross is pretty shameful. In fact, it's hard to think of a thing more shameful than to be executed for a capital crime. That's as low as one can go. He disregarded it. How did he do that? For the joy. He said, it's worth it. And is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So, it's on this basis. It's on seeing and keeping that in view that we continue running in faith. Because running in faith can be difficult. And when it's difficult, you're probably tempted to stop. <clears throat> so, we run the race that's set before us. How's it set before us? Well, by Him. The one who ran ahead. That's the set before us race. The race he ran. The race that operates by faith. What is the path of this race? Which way does it go? Through the cross. To the resurrection. To the right hand of the throne of God.
That's the path. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3. You know, I want to share in the sufferings of Christ. I want to run this race by faith. I follow Him through the cross to the resurrection to the right hand. To the promise of resurrection to eternal life to the joy of the Lord in the presence of the Lord. Realized that that path does go by way of the cross. So Jesus said, don't be surprised if the world hates you. They hated me. Don't be surprised. Don't act. Don't think like it's some strange thing, Peter says, if you suffer persecution for the name of Christ. In fact, Peter himself regarded it as a privilege so that when he and James and John came out after the first time they got beaten for the name of Jesus, they were rejoicing, the Scripture says. Well, the text goes on. For consider Him. Consider Him. And this word consider is a heavy word. It's a heavy word. It means to give proper weight to something. To think carefully. To really examine. To reflect. And we've, been, we've had this exhortation repeatedly in the book of Hebrews. In fact, I've said this, I don't probably... A hundred times, whatever your problem is, your problem is inadequate attention to Jesus. And so the writer says, consider Him. Think about Him. Notice Him. Carefully give proper weight to Christ. You know, however much weight you've given to Christ so far, you're not here yet. You should consider Him more carefully than you have up until now. Your privilege in all eternity is to know Him. And to know Him more today than you did yesterday. There is no greater thing than to consider Jesus. And considering Jesus is not a way to get something else that's better than that. It's not a means to some other end. It's the prize. To end all prizes. Well, who is this one we consider? Well, first, He's the one who endured. He endured hostility by sinners against himself. Now, the way these words go in the original text is he's the one, the one who endured under sinners against himself such hostility. Now, it goes in that order because the following text goes in sort of the reverse order like we had last time. We have a little chiasm, a little pointer in the text. So the one who endured by sinners against himself, such hostility, that's number one, number two, number three, if you're looking at the notes. The one who endured by sinners against himself, such hostility 
And then when he comes to talking about us, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. It's unfolded in the reverse order. Such hostility goes together with to the point of blood. You haven't yet resisted to that point. He did. That was the level of hostility he endured. By sinners against himself goes together with your resistance against sin. Sinners against him, you against sin. And then uh, the one who endured goes together with your striving or struggling your, uh, well, striving in this translation, your striving against sin. He endured your striving against sin. He, what he endured was sinners against himself, your resisting sin. To such a degree, such hostility that he gave his life and you have not yet come to that point. So these things point at the thing in the middle. What's the thing in the middle? So that you will not grow weary in your souls and, or lose heart. Consider Him so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. This is the thing. When you experience the hardship of faith, what is the right response? Weigh Christ against your hardship. You put Him on the scale and you put your hardship on the other side. I, yeah, well, you won't be able to reach it because the weight. Weigh Christ. Weigh Christ. What is the key to persevering in the Christian faith? Because we all have this struggle where something bad happens and we're kind of whiny kids. And we think, is it worth it? Well, what the writer of Hebrews says is, well, if you're going to ask that question, answer that question. Is it worth it? <laughs> well, if you really ask that question seriously, uh, there's no competition. Weigh Christ. Grasp the privilege and the promise of knowing God in Christ by the Spirit. Grasp that. Think. What is the gain? What is the gain of the position in Christ? It's immeasurable gain. The Bible literally says, 
the gain of that is all things are yours. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Everything. The gain is everything. Not today, but in Christ, the gain is everything. And that promise is yours in Him. So you need to grasp the privilege and in fact, the gain is Him. Not all the stuff that comes with Him. Jesus says, knowing Him is eternal life. It's not about how long it lasts. It's about who it's with. I think you could probably imagine spending eternity with some individuals and you think, oh, that sounds like a thing to avoid. I, there's some people I, I have a hard time spending a half hour with them. Not Christ. The privilege of being together with Christ and together with the Father in Christ is, well, the prize of all prizes. It is the goal. It is actually being alive. To be apart from Him is to be dead. To be with Him is to be alive. I need to grasp the privilege and the promise of knowing God in Christ by the Spirit. I need to remember that He has come down to this world, the Eternal One, and suffered in a way I can not even imagine in order to, the, to experience the joy of my fellowship. And ours, not just me. I want to enjoy that fellowship. So, this, I've broken this down in three things. Focused attention on Jesus. How, what's the key to pers persevering in the Christian faith? Well, pay attention to Him. Focus your, fix your eyes on Him. The supreme example of faith leading to joy. In Him, all the promises of God are yes. Number two, weigh whatever resistance I'm encountering. Weigh that resistance against the hostility He endured. I've not yet resisted to the point of blood. Third, consider that the hardship and the hostility of this life is a point of fellowship with Christ. And fellowship with Christ is life. Literally, 
Human beings were created to live by fellowship with God. To be the ones who breathe the breath of God and exhibit God in the creation. To when we alienated ourselves from God, we died in Christ, we're brought back to life. Well, what does that mean? It means we're brought back to fellowship with God. Consider this. This is what Paul says in Philippians 3. I want to experience the fellowship of His suffering. Why? Why does any is he saying I like I like suffering is he some kind of masochist no the point is the fellowship of it I want to know life the way Jesus knows life I want to have a, a this thing that gives me something in common with him So, when we are in the middle of difficulty, and this can be any kind of difficulty, we are called to keep going by faith. Keep going by faith. Keep running. Keep running one foot in front of the other. Keep persevering in faith. Pay Fix your eyes on Him. Weigh what you're going through to what, with what He went through. And notice that the endurance of difficulty is something you share with Him. And sharing things with Him is all He wants you to have His joy in its fullness. Uh, well, that means you fellowship with Him. And your fellowship with Him is enriched when you endure by faith. Because that's how He lived. You know, the world is annoying. I don't know if you've noticed. The world is really annoying. It doesn't seem at all interested in me or, you know, doing what's right by me. Now, I get annoyed by the world and I just get mad. I can throw little fits. I just get mad. I'm not happy with this service. Well, I have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. You know, Jesus' experience of the madness and irritation of the world, my experience of the madness and irritation of the world 
does not get on the same scale. But to whatever extent I experience it, I have something in common with Him. I have a shared experience with Him in which I might even rejoice because it is that sort of thing. I might even say, oh, the difficulty of this life that's making me think maybe it'd be easier. Is this even true? The difficulties that are making me think that way, actually, I can turn over and say, oh, it is true because He did. And He did it for the joy of wrapping me into that fellowship and you, and us, His people, His body, one new man in Him. So, the title of this message today is The Weight of Glory. You know, that comes from that expression in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, I consider my suffering compared to the weight of glory. We have all things in Him. We have the promise of resurrection to eternal life. Eternal life which means real life, real personal, intimate fellowship with the living God forever. The promise of resurrection, the actual restoration of my dying body into one that is not subject to death. That's perfectly healthy. I wonder what that will feel like. We've We've never known it. I think it will be an experience full of joy. That day when He returns and fulfills all of this promise. Let us consider when we endure the weight of the Lord Jesus. The weight of glory. The weight of the promise of God. And keep running. Father, we give You thanks. Your goodness is past our imagination, really. Lord, I pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of Your people, in our life together as a church, but in each of us, Lord, to keep our attention on the Lord Jesus, to pitch our tent between the cross and the empty tomb, to always live in the mindfulness of Your goodness in Him. So that, Lord, we not only just endure, but we become exhibits of His life even now. That because we see Him clearly, we become like Him. We become the sort of people who are generously loving, who seek the benefit of another at our own expense, who exhibit the weight of glory in all our relationships. 
Lord, we pray that this would be more and more our experience in this life. Thank You for what You're doing. In Jesus' name, Amen.